0: right in the middle of walking through the Gospel of Mark as a local church on Sunday mornings. This morning we've made our way to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to cover today verse 21 through verse 39. I'm excited about this passage today, and I want to confess two things to you this morning. I want to confess to you, uh, this is not my own confession, I hope. This, I hope, is your confession as well. Uh 2 Timothy 3:16 says this it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable So I want to confess to you this morning that I believe that I believe that this book that we're about to read and that I'm about to teach and that you're about to hear is the word of God and I believe it came from his mouth it comes from his mouth in the present tense and I believe that this book is profitable That our time together can make a difference in your life. That it can edify us. It can make us more like Christ. It can reveal the Savior to us. It's profitable. It is not vanity. It's not futility. And it's not a waste of time. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. I believe that this morning. And I know many of you here believe that this morning. I want to confess the second thing to you. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God. I believe that God over and over and over does supernatural work in His people where He takes this book, His words, and He reveals them to us. He opens our heart to receive them. He opens our eyes to see things. He helps us to teach. He helps us to explain. I believe that this happens. I believe that God is faithful. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God. So during this time, before we dive into this passage, I'm going to invite us to do something as a local church. We're about to pray together. Okay, And here's what I'm going after during this time. I want us to take these two things, the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, and I want us to, to just lean against them with everything that we have. All our hope is in the Word of God by the Spirit of God. If these things don't happen, then we waste our time today. But if these things do, then we get profit from God. We gather together for edification to the praise of His name, to the glory of His name. So let's pray together before we dive in this morning. Lord, we come to you. We come to you, King Jesus, in your name, and we are your people, Lord. And you saved us, and you've called us by your own name, and you've called us even your own possession, Lord. God, and we gather to- together today, and we would, wish- and we want to bring this humble plea before you, Lord. We want to humble ourselves, God. We want to lean against you this morning. We want to confess, Lord that we have no good apart from You, Lord. We want to lean against Your words. We want to lean against the truth. Your self-revelation to us in this book, Breath from Your Mouth, Lord. And God, we pray, God, that You would reveal Your words to us this morning. That You would bring profit to this church. Edification, glory to Your name. And we confess to You, Lord, that we are completely inefficient and insufficient, Lord, in and of ourselves to accomplish anything for Your glory, to even hear Your words. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us with with You, God. And we pray, God, that You would enable us to hear Your words. Make this book burn in our souls. Make Your words burn in our hearts, God. Give us a passion for Jesus as He's revealed to us in 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 this passage today. Lord, I pray that You would exalt Your Son. God, I pray that You would help me in the next few moments to step out of the way and that You would exalt Jesus in this time. Lord, I pray that You would help me to do that. And I pray that You would help us to behold Christ in His glory. You'd help us to behold Him, Lord, and that You'd make us like Your Son. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read verses 21 through 39 together. So this is going to be a chunk, okay? It's going to be a lot of verses. We're going to read Mark 21 through verse 39 together. And there are a lot of immediately's in this, so I'm going to sound like I'm running out of breath at some point. So just hang with me. Verse 21 through verse 39. This is the Word of God. And they went into Capernaum. all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is the Word of God. So we just prayed that God would help us, that He would open this book to us, and that He would help us by His Holy Spirit. And I just invite you that that's okay to do more than once. And that we can come together over and over, every time you think about it in the next few moments, ask God to reveal His Word to you by His Holy Spirit. Ask God to help me. Okay. Here we go. Initially, what I want you to see about this passage, this passage covers about 24 hours. Okay, This is about a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. As we read this passage, we get a glimpse of a typical day, of what a typical day looks like in Jesus' Galilean ministry. This is Mark's purpose to give us a snapshot of what it would look like as a normal day of ministry for the Savior. As you may have noticed, this entire story happens in the town of Capernaum. The story starts on a Sabbath day, in a Capernaum synagogue. And then the story moves to a house near, near the synagogue, Peter's mother-in-law's house, in Capernaum. And then the story finishes at a desolate place somewhere around this city of Capernaum. Again, this is all in about a 24-hour period in Jesus' life. As we unpack this passage today, I want you to take special note of the authority of Jesus, And the priority of Jesus. And I've laid this out to help you grab a hold of this on this study guide. The authority of Jesus and the priority of Jesus. This passage shows us the authority of Jesus over demons and sickness. And this passage reveals to us the priority of Christ. Prayer and preaching. You're going to see that as we work through this passage. So let's pick it up in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. Jesus and His disciples enter into Capernaum. Okay? This, is, this town of Capernaum is very important in the Scriptures. It's mentioned over 15 times in the Gospels. It's the economic center of Galilee, and it's known as a fishing village because it sits on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee this village becomes very important to Jesus. There's a lot of evidence in the Scriptures that after Jesus, who was from Nazareth, after He gets rejected at Nazareth, He actually moves to this town of Capernaum. This becomes His hub and His home base for His Galilean ministry. And we know this in Matthew 9, verse 1, we have Capernaum referred to as Jesus' own city. Okay? In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, there's even a reference to Jesus' house in Capernaum. And we also know that Peter and his brother Andrew lived and worked in this city. This is a central city in the gospel stories. And we pick up this story on what appears to be a normal Sabbath day in Capernaum. Okay, you see that. And as the story progresses, This day will become anything but normal. And you're also going to see that. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus enters into this Capernaum synagogue on the Sabbath day and begins to teach the Scriptures. Many of you know this, but the synagogue in first century Judaism, it was the local gathering place for the people of God. It was where they would gather on the Sabbath and they would hear teaching from God's Word, they would pray, they would read the Scriptures, and they would hear a teacher of the Scriptures teach a sermon. Okay? So I want, to, I want you to try to place yourself in this story. Imagine yourself as a first century Jew in Capernaum. Okay? You would have been very, very familiar with being in a synagogue on the Sabbath day, hearing the Word of God taught. That would have been something that was part of your life. You would have been very familiar with this. But we see something very, very different happen on this Sabbath day. Something very out of the ordinary. Verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. On this Sabbath day, these Jews who were gathered together, they heard something that they had never heard in their life before. You see, they had heard teaching on a weekly basis from the Word of God probably every single Saturday of their life. But something has happened that's very unique in this verse. The one who enters the synagogue on this day is in a category all by himself. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark does not record for us the content of Jesus' sermon on this day. But if you remember last week when Ryan taught on the previous passage... In Mark chapter one, verse fourteen and fifteen, he told you that that section sits as a title over his Galilean ministry. Okay, it's a summary of what Jesus went around and preached in all of Galilee. So we know from this verse that Jesus would have entered the synagogue on this Saturday, and he would have preached what's called in the scriptures the gospel of God. This is what he would have proclaimed. We don't know word for word what he would have said, but it could be summed up like this. This is verse 15 in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Again, we don't have word for word what Jesus says, but Mark vividly, vividly describes the effect of this teaching on this Sabbath day in Capernaum. According to verse 22, these gathered Jews were absolutely astonished at what they had heard this word astonished and your and your version might translate it something different i'm going to the esv this word astonished that that it describes in verse 22 here's what it means this word describes the reaction of a person after being struck by an unexpected blow okay this word describes someone that's just been blindsided and they turn that's astonished that's what it means this is what just happened on this morning in the Sabbath day. Something jarring, something disturbing. An unexpected blow was delivered in the synagogue and it produced this reaction called astonishment. This astonishment was not because they heard the Scriptures being taught. Again, they had heard this many times before. It was the manner in which they had heard the Scriptures being taught on this day. Verse 22 tells us that that He taught as one having authority. He taught as one having authority. This teaching with authority hit this group of gathered Jews like a mat truck. It was an unexpected blow. And they were astonished at what they had heard. Here's a quote from a commentator. It says, In the presence of Jesus, men are disturbed. This is a good description of what's happened on this day. Now I want to ask you a question. Many of you have heard many sermons in your life, okay? Have you ever heard a man of God start unpacking the scriptures and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit and your heart begins to burn? And God begins to sit on this teaching and be, and he begins to this this fear of God comes over you. Has this ever happened? Has this ever happened to you? This has happened many times to me. Okay? As I hear In an unusual way, God used men like John Piper or Martin Lloyd-Jones or Leonard Ravenhill and my heart begins to burn. Have you ever had this happen to you? This authority that the Scriptures are taught with. Has that ever happened? I bet it's happened several times to many people. Here's what I want you to know. This is not like that. What happens on this day is nothing like that. It's not like that. Why were they astonished? Why was this group of Jews astonished? You need to understand that their whole lives, this group of Jews would have only heard the Scriptures being taught from scribes. You see that in that verse. These scribes were men who could trace their heritage back to Ezra. Okay, Ezra the scribe. By New Testament times, this became a class of professionals, these scribes, and they would travel throughout Israel and they would be the ones who would teach in the synagogues. These men, like Ezra, would have been skilled in the law of Moses and learned in the commandments of God. We could think of them like modern day trained preacher theologians. But something was very different about the way that Jesus taught compared to the way that these scribes taught the Scriptures. And they both used the same material. They were both expounding the Old Testament. Okay, But something was different. And Mark describes the difference with the word authority. And I think it would help you to understand, as we unpack this passage, I want to help you to understand, to categorize two different types of authority. Okay. Intrinsic authority and delegated authority. And here's what I mean by that. Their whole life, this group of Jews would have only heard scribes teach with delegated authority. Here's what I mean. The scribes, at least the good ones, at least the good scribes, and there were very few good scribes if you ever read the Gospels. Okay, it's pretty rough on this category of men known as the scribes in in the Gospels. So the good ones, and there were very few good ones, could teach the Scriptures with authority. And here's what that would look like. They could point men and women to the Word of God and they could say, this is the Word of God. They could do that. But Jesus had a different type of authority. His authority was intrinsic. In and of Himself. Here's the way this works. The scribes could say, you have heard it said of old. But Jesus could say, but I say to you, Okay? This is the authority that enters into the synagogue on this Sabbath day. Think about this. I want you to imagine this. When He begins to teach the Scriptures on this day, Jesus spoke about the Scriptures as the author of the Scriptures. Okay? Can you imagine the power of the author of the Bible teaching and proclaiming the Bible? In a category by Himself, you have the Word of God written in written form being proclaimed by the Word of God incarnate. This is power. How would you describe that? If you heard that, how would you describe that? If you're Mark, you would describe it with this word authority. He taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. This authority was unlike anything that these people had ever heard. It was like they had been hit with a Mack truck and their response was that they were astounded. They were astounded at what they had heard. They had been confronted authoritatively with the demands of God Himself. And what happens next? In verse 23, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus' authority on this day astonished the crowds. But this verse tells us that it also stirred up the demonic realm. This is what this verse teaches. Verse 23 tells us that in response to this authoritative teaching of Jesus, that an unclean spirit begins to manifest itself in a synagogue. A group of people has just been astounded. And then out of nowhere, this demon begins to scream through the vocal cords of a man. This authority provoked this response. Why does the demon scream? I want you to think about this. Why does this demon begin to scream in this gathering? Why this demonic manifestation? Demons do not normally blow their cover. You need to know that. Their main strategy is to work in deception and hiddenness. But this demon, this unclean spirit, blows its cover and begins to scream. Why? The demon is screaming as a response to this authority that Jesus has just shown in His teaching. This is a scream of terror from this demon. Think about this. Can you imagine... If you're there, can you imagine how terrified that this demon would have been as he stood before the Son of God, the One with all authority, the Holy One of God? Can you imagine the terror? Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Something you need to know about Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. This is the ruler, the commander, the champion of the satanic kingdom. And Jesus defeats him. In the same chapter, about ten verses later, the commander of the satanic kingdom has been smoked by Jesus. And then you have this underling demon standing before Christ, this private in this satanic kingdom. Can you imagine the fear? Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Son of God, has already smoked your commander. And now you're standing in front of Him. What do you do? You scream with terror. And this is what He does. All He can say in verse 23 is, Have you come to destroy us? Is this the end, Jesus? Are you about to destroy me? He fears for His existence in the presence of Christ. This is powerful. This is a powerful demonstration of the authority of Jesus Please note that in verse 24, that this demon speaks in the plural. He says, have you come to destroy us? He is literally speaking on behalf of the entire demonic kingdom. Is this the end, Jesus? Are you about to bring it all down? Are you coming to destroy us? Can you you sense the fear? And then the demon calls Jesus the Holy One of God. One of the surprising things about the Gospels when you read them is that the demons know who Jesus is. They know who He is. And here's this side note. Knowing facts about Jesus does not make you any more of a Christian than knowing facts about Jesus made demons Christians. you understand that? They knew who He was and they hated Him. They stood for everything that Jesus was against. They were unclean spirits. That doesn't mean that they need to take a bath. They were morally unclean. They were filthy morally in the sight of God. They had nothing in common with Christ. Which is why they say in verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That literally means, what do we have in common? They knew who he was, but they hated him. They had nothing in common with Christ. And another side note just because you go to church does not mean that demons leave you alone. This is the demonic manifestation in a synagogue. Do you understand that? Verse 24. We've already talked about the word authority. But there's another word in Scripture that sometimes we think of as synonymous with authority and that word is power. And I want to tell you that these words are actually different. They mean different things. Authority and power. Just because you have authority does not mean that you have power and just because you have power does not mean that you have authority. An easy way to think about this is with the words right and might. Authority is a, is a right to rule. Power is the might to rule. Okay, Stick that in your brain for a second. Now here's why this is important. Psalm 2 had prophesied about one coming for a thousand years. Psalm 2 is a thousand years before Jesus. Psalm 2 had prophesied that there was one coming, one from God, one king who would have authority and power. Here's what I mean in the language of Psalm 2. God would set His King on His holy hill. He would have the right to sit on the throne, the authority of God. And then the same One who would sit on this holy hill would rule the nations with a rod of iron. He would have authority and power. He would have the right and the might. If Jesus was to be the fulfillment of this Psalm 2 prophecy, if He was to be the true King, then he would, must be able to conquer his enemies. He must have authority and power to conquer this satanic kingdom. And this is exactly what he does. This is exactly what he does. Jesus has authority over Satan and demons. He has a rightful claim to rule, judge, and even punish the entire satanic realm. This is his right. This is his authority. This is who he is. But we are about to see Him demonstrate His authority in an act of power. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked Him saying, Be silent and come out of Him. And the unclean spirit convulsing Him and crying out with a loud voice came out of Him. Evil is not to be left alone or retreated from. Jesus knows that ultimately this is God's world, not Satan's. He comes into the world as the king, as God's true king to rule. And so what does Jesus do? He casts out this demon. He drives out this unclean spirit. And I want you to notice how he does it. How does Jesus drive out this unclean spirit? No drama? No theatrics? No spell, no ritual, no incantation. He opens up His mouth and He speaks. And He drives out satanic power with the word of His mouth. Seven words full of authority and power. A modern day translation of what Jesus said would sound something like this. Shut up and come out. This is what He commanded this unclean spirit to do. And this unclean spirit obeyed. Imagine, you would have been sitting in this synagogue and you would have been struck by this teaching of Jesus. You just got hit with something that you've never seen before in your life as the Creator God in human flesh began to proclaim the Bible. And then, and then you saw at the authoritative Word of Christ this supernatural demon convulse in the body of a man and leave this body at the Word of Christ. Can you imagine What would have been going on in your mind? This would have rocked your understanding. What would your response be? Verse 27. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. First, in verse 22, this crowd was described as astonished. That's the word that we talked about earlier. Now, this same crowd is described as amazed. That first word meant the response that follows an unexpected blow. They have been struck. But this second word, amazed, it has a hint and a tone of fear and terror. They had seen this demonic manifestation and this power display of Jesus and this group of people were beginning to become afraid. They had no category to put this in in their minds so they say, what is this? What is this? Two implications follow this display of power over demons. First implication is this. If Jesus has power over demons, over the demonic realm, then He has power over any realm. Second implication is this. Only God would have such power. Conclusion is this. Jesus has all power. And Jesus is God. This is the implications for this power display. I want to remind every believer this morning of what Jesus has done for you in this area. Read a verse to you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13. It says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This has happened to every believer. This has happened to you in Christ. That word domain that I just read is the same Greek word as authority of what we just talked about in Mark chapter 1. And what that verse teaches is that when you, when you believed on Jesus, what Jesus did for every believer is He delivered you from the authority of darkness. So I'm reminding you today, Satan and demons have zero authority in your life as a believer. Jesus has transferred you. He's delivered you. You're in another kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. No authority. Satan and demons have no authority over the believer. This is what he's done. It's one thing, back to Mark 1, it's one thing to open your mouth and yell at demons. That's one category. It's another thing when you open your mouth and the whole demonic realm obeys every word that comes out of your mouth. And this is what He displays, His power and His authority over demons. This is an action-packed Sabbath morning, okay? Now, we might, we might have been involved in some powerful gatherings of God's people, but this is powerful. This was a powerful morning at the synagogue in Capernaum. okay? And this story keeps pressing on at an aggressive pace. So you had this morning service in the synagogue. And then we're going to pick it up in verse 29. It says this, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. Jesus and his disciples leave the synagogue that morning. And they enter into this house. And they tell Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law who's sick, laid out with a fever. Most likely this was from some form of infection. Okay, And in these days, this would have been a very serious illness possibly even life-threatening. She was laid out with a fever. Verse 31, And He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. Jesus is demonstrating His authority now over sickness. But I want you to note the compassion and the gentleness of Jesus Christ. This is a private setting. Okay? We're at Peter's house, and this is just just a few people and his mother-in-law. This is a private setting; crowds aren't around. This is a humble miracle, and this shows us that Jesus cares about common people with common needs. This is who He is. Also, note how personal Jesus is with this woman. Verse twenty-nine, sorry, verse thirty-one. It says this that He took her by the hand and lifted her up. He touched her. Five times in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is described as touching the needy. Okay? This is how personal He is. This is His love and His grace displayed. Notice that the touch of Jesus is full of power and authority over all sickness and over all the effects of the curse of sin. Notice this. He touches her and she is healed. Notice also that Jesus does not just take the fever away. That verse said that she was laid out sick and Christ touches this woman and she not only doesn't have a fever anymore, she stands up and begins to serve. She's restored to full strength. He has displayed His authority over sickness. And then what happens next? Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to Him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. Why do you think sundown is mentioned here? Why do you think He said that? In the Jewish Jewish calendar, days start at sunset. Our days start at midnight, right? Theirs started at sunset. So the story picks up on a Sabbath morning. At sunset on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath would have been over. And this city waited till the Sabbath passes. They didn't want to break any Sabbath laws or traditions. But as soon as the Sabbath is over, the crowds come out of the woodwork towards this house. Notice that twice in this section that we just read, demon oppression and sickness are distinct From one another. This means that just because you are sick, it does not automatically mean that demons are involved. Read the passage. They're distinct from one another. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. These are different categories. Twice in this passage, you have that distinction. Notice how Mark uses these words to describe the crowds all, the whole city. All, the whole city, massive crowds begin to pack around this house in Capernaum. Massive crowds surround the house, and what does Jesus do? The text says that He heals many, and He cast out many demons. Now that's just another way of saying He healed all. How do you know that? Because Luke, the other Gospel writer, records the same event, and he tells us that Jesus healed everyone. Crowds start packing around, demon-oppressed and the sick, and Jesus heals all of them. This is what He does. He demonstrates His authority over sickness. Now this would have meant, you think about this, whole city, all the people came. He heals all of them. This would mean that this town of Capernaum had been rocked, flipped upside down by the power and the authority of Jesus. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this in your mind? Can you imagine yourself there? Think if you were a desperate father with a demon-oppressed child. And these crowds are packing around and you're trying to get your demon-oppressed child. You're trying to fight the crowds to get this demon-oppressed son to Jesus. Can you imagine the urgency? As they as needy humanity packed around the savior. And this is a display of power. Can you imagine this young woman with a sick newborn baby that's about to die as she begins to navigate her way through the crowds to get this baby to the hands of this miracle worker? Can you imagine the urgency, the needs, the noise? These crowds begin to pack in around him. Can you imagine the anticipation? As they're standing there, needy humanity, all the sick, all the demon-oppressed, and they're thinking, they're watching Him heal one after the other, and they're thinking, can He really heal me? Can He heal my disease? Can Jesus really set me free? Can you imagine the anticipation? And then finally, can you imagine the celebration as one after after the other comes to Christ and He heals, and He drives out demons, and He sets every one of them free? Can you imagine the celebration? the thanksgiving, the praise to His name, the tears of joy, the shouts of deliverance. Can you imagine that? If you were that father with that sick little girl, and then all of a sudden she's made well in front of your eyes, what would your response be? Shouts of deliverance. Tears of joy. And here we see the kingdom of God draw near to needy humanity in the person of Jesus. This is a power display. A display of authority. He has power and authority over all the effects of the curse. This is our Christ. This is the one that we worship. By all accounts, this day in Capernaum has been amazing. The town has been turned upside down by Jesus. And that's an understatement. What do you think the next day would look like for Jesus? After this day. This power display in the synagogue this humble miracle in this house, and then these crowds begin to pack around him and he heals massive multitudes of people. What do you think the next day would look like for him? Sleeping in, r r take a day off. Think about the disciples. Think if you were Simon and Andrew and you watched everything that happened that day. Can you imagine the effect that that would have had on your mind and your heart? You saw it with your own eyes and you lay down to go to sleep that night and you think... What is Jesus going to do tomorrow? If He did this today, what's He going to do tomorrow? And Mark records that the next day, tomorrow will turn out as a shocker as well. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. The phrase, very early in the morning in case she needs some help, means that Jesus did not sleep in the next day. Okay? Now, this is an intentional point by Mark. And you know this because this verse comes right after this power display where all the village came to Him. Okay? Here's what this means. The, ta- the whole town and all these people, they didn't even show up until it was dark outside. You know that from the text. Okay, And so it is very safe to assume that Jesus would have been ministering to one after the other at the other very late into the night. Very late into the night. It is very safe to assume that Jesus in His humanity would have been very weary. Okay? Very safe to assume that. Yet He rises very early in the morning. Why? Why is this even here? I submit to you that we see in this verse the priority of Jesus. We see see a priority in Jesus' life from this verse. I want you to think about this. He would have definitely felt a need for sleep because he would have been weary. But Jesus would have felt a more urgent necessity to commune with his heavenly Father. This is a priority in his life. He would have felt the urgent necessity to go be alone with God. Priority in the Savior's life. Very early in the morning, even after a long night. I'm going to be with my Father. Desolate place. By Himself, praying. Jesus knew that prayer brings us into conscious fellowship with God like nothing else. So He gets up, leaves the house, before the sun comes up, goes to the desolate place, and there he is praying. You see a priority in his life. Verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, "Everyone is looking for you." And we see in this verse that the disciples did not share this priority of Jesus. They did not share the same priorities of the Savior. They didn't understand what he was doing, and it was even worse than that. They didn't agree with what he was doing. The verse, there's a hint of reproach in what they're saying to Jesus. They say, everyone is looking for you. That basically means, what are you doing? The crowds are looking for you. What are you doing? They didn't agree with what he was doing. They didn't share his priorities. The crowds would have remembered the previous day in Capernaum. They saw the Savior turn the city upside down, and everyone was looking for an encore. But Jesus thought differently. In His mind, great crowds did not always equal great success in ministry. Verse 38, And He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. As Jesus reveals His priority to go preach in other towns, He reveals that His chief purpose is not to meet the temporal needs of man. Jesus reveals to us that His chief purpose is not to meet the temporal needs of man. Jesus placed a higher priority on gospel preaching than healing and deliverance ministry. Capernaum had the opposite priorities of Jesus. They had flipped things upside down. Listen to this. The crowds were seeking a miracle worker. They sought mostly relief from pain and oppression. They were not seeking Jesus out to respond to His message of repentance. This is not what they sought Him for. They sought Him for healing, earthly healing. Jesus' main message in the Gospels is not come to Him and be healed. It's repent and believe the Gospel. This was His main message. And without a doubt, Jesus had done mighty works in the city of Capernaum. He had. He had turned the city upside down. But He was grieved that the masses did not respond to His message of repentance. We know this from the Word of God. Listen to Him describe Capernaum later in the Gospel of Matthew this is Matthew chapter 11 verse 20 it says this then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent two verses later and you Capernaum will be exalted will you be exalted to the heavens no. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We know. Capernaum gets rocked by the power of Jesus. But the majority here, they did not respond to his his message of repentance. And this grieved the Savior. This city had grabbed a hold of an ancient version of the prosperity gospel. The version of the gospel that exalts the gifts of God above the giver, God Himself. The version of the gospel that offers the blessings of the gospel without repentance from sin. This is an ancient version of the the prosperity gospel. Capernaum grabbed a hold of this. Jesus' chief purpose was not to meet temporal needs. He came ultimately to meet humanity's deepest needs. Think about this. His earthly healing was temporary for the body, but His message brought healing to the entire soul of man. Eternal healing. His earthly exorcism cast an unclean spirit out of the body, but His message delivers one from the entire satanic realm. He came to meet our chief need, our deepest need. The crowds are literally ready to crown Him as King. Yet Jesus denies Himself and sets His face to do the Father's will. This is what we have Him doing here. The man will not be distracted from His mission. He must go to other towns and preach this message. This is your Savior. This is why He came. He came out to take this Gospel to other towns as well. So this is an awesome uh, passage of Scripture. This passage reveals to us the authority and the priority of Jesus. Many times, I think, we are too guilty. Okay? We are so self-centered that we read a passage like this and in our zeal to apply the Word of God to our life, we're far too quick to read ourselves into the story far too quickly and what I want to warn you with this morning is don't do that too fast don't automatically think what does this passage mean for my life do not miss your chance to adore Jesus Christ to worship Him to bow down to give Him praise and honor don't miss your chance to be blown away by the Word of God so worship Him He has all authority over Satan and over sickness. And the kingdom of God draws near to needy humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Worship Him. All praise to the one who has all authority. All praise to the one who denounced popularity to spread this good news, this message. And I want to invite you this morning to celebrate the authority and the power of Jesus. He has all power. And He is worthy of all praise from His people. Celebrate Him. Exalt Him. I want to leave you with two questions as we close. Do you share Jesus' sense of urgency to commune with the Father? Is this who you are? Is prayer the priority of your life? And I want you to understand this question, so I want to say a quick thought. Prayer does not mean intercession. Intercession is a part of prayer, but prayer is bigger than intercession. Prayer is essentially communion with God. Is the priority of your life to commune with the Father, to be with God? Are you like the Savior? Do you share this urgency? When we see it like this, this means that a lack of prayer is a lack of desire to be with God Himself. How great of a sin is that? To not desire the Holy One. God has called us into a living relationship with Himself. And God is most honored when we approach Him out of delight to be with Him, not out of mere duty. Do you share this urgency of Jesus to be with the Father? Is God a living reality in your life? There are so many things in the Christian life that happen around other people, and what I'm asking you today is when the door closes and you're in the secret place and no one else is around, do you know him? Is God a living Is he the living God to you? Do you know what it's like to depart to solitary places and be with the Savior? Do you know him? Are you like him? Jesus sets for us the the perfect example of diligent communion with the Father. Here's a J.C. Rock quote. What shall we say to those who pray, yet give little time to their prayers? Asking little, they must expect to have little. Seeking little, they cannot be surprised that they possess little. It will always be found that when prayers are few... Grace, strength, peace, and hope is small. Prayer is the pulse of Christianity and the true test of our state before God. And then he says, let us know what it is to depart into solitary places and pray. I say amen to that. Let us know what it is to depart into solitary places and pray. Second question. Do you share Jesus' urgency to do the work of the kingdom? He said that He came out to spread this message to other towns. Are you like Him? Do you share this sense of urgency? He came out from heaven to accomplish a work. The work of His Father. This was like food to His soul. That's John chapter 4. It's like food to Jesus to do the will of God. Does your heart burn for the mission of Jesus? Say that one more time. Does your heart burn? Is this the passion of your life to pursue the mission of Jesus? How high of a priority is it in your life to publish the good news to other places that have not heard? Are you like Him? Are you like the Savior? This is why He came out. One more J.C. Raw quote as we close. Preaching is God's grand ordinance for converting and saving souls. The faithful preacher of the gospel is handling the very weapon which the Son of God was not ashamed to employ. When we when we herald this message, we are like Him. That ought to encourage us. We're like Him. We're about to have a time of prayer together as we close. But I want to say this closing words. May the Lord Jesus make us like Him in our praying and in our preaching. Let's pray. Father, we exalt Your Son, Lord. God, we exalt You, Your Son. Lord Jesus, we exalt You. And we praise You as the One with all authority. You are the Holy One of God. And there's none like You, Jesus. Our prayer, Lord, is that You would reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to us more and more. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would lift up the Savior, that You would exalt the Son in our lives. And we we proclaim that You have all authority over Satan and over sickness. And Lord, we, Your people, we just say, Lord, come reign over us. Come reign over us as our King. Let Your kingdom come, Lord, in this place. And these people. Be an exalted King in our midst, Lord. And Father, we pray that You would make us like Jesus. Make us like Him. Not just on Sundays, but every day, Lord. Help us to know what it's like to withdraw and to be with You and no one else. And Lord, help us know what it's like to take the same message on our lips as our Savior and publish it to the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.